Welcome to the Commission Wrap-Up Show. I'm here in the fallout and an eventful week four in the baseball world. With 22 weeks in the regular season, we are four down, but believe it or not, only 18 left. There are some slow starts that are worrisome and some fast starts that have the teams elated. There's still a long way to go, but things are starting to make a little bit more sense, and the emergence of the hierarchy and the standings are definitely starting to mean something. Alicia's 4-0, and Nick is 0-4. Everyone else falls in between as we all search for an identity and answers. Baseball's a marathon, not a sprint, as we all know. But the race has started, and some of these slow-starting superstars aren't even on the track. I'm looking at you, Francisco Lindor. Thanks for joining me, and the Commission Wrap-Up Show is next. Thanks for joining me here on the Commission Wrap-Up Show. Well, week four is in the books as the Mets and the Phillies duel out on Sunday Night Baseball. And the Mets just tied it. So the Mets are not going out quietly on Sunday night. We have clarity in For the Fame. All of the week four matchups are sewn up. And we are now digesting the results and coming to an understanding of what they mean. But as usual, I'm going to break down each matchup and I'm going to go through each of them with a fine tooth comb and talk about the main storylines that are worth discussing. So let's get right into it. Uh, Alicia versus me. Alicia moved to 4-0 as she defeated me uh, pretty handily. It became a little bit closer at the end of the, at the, end of the week with Max Scherzer's complete game. Uh, unfortunately for me, he gave up a home run that denied him of the complete game shutout. But nevertheless, Alicia was going to win that, and her offense definitely was pretty much the highlight of what she was doing to my team, dissecting them offensively. So anytime I made a move and was able to get back into the matchup a little bit, the combination of Raf, whether it be Rafi Devers or Bo Bichette or Vlad Guerrero Jr., she just was unstoppable. And the way her team is built is unorthodox compared to how the other teams are built because for the most part, people stack up pitching and they have a deep pitching bench. But her offense though there is a lot of choices to be made um, and sometimes she makes the wrong decision, she seems to be pushing the right buttons and leaves some of the offensive players on the bench and has to make the decisions on a daily basis. So it seems like she's in a rhythm where she's able to say, you know what, these are my starters. If they're not playing, I'll put these other guys in and set it and forget it. There's been, she left a few points on the bench with Alice Kirilov who had, I believe a home run early in the week. And he didn't, she didn't have him in the lineup because obviously she was going to start someone like Vlad over him. So she has a couple tough choices to make, but looking at her offense, it's quite clear that she's 4-0 for a reason. She is definitively the best offense in the league, and her pitching does just enough, anchored by, obviously, Jacob DeGrom, the best pitcher in baseball. And thanks to her, you know, obviously she benefits from the fact that we're not a win-driven league. DeGrom gets robbed of wins on a weekly basis. But because of the fact that he's able to gather the quality start and it's good for double digit Ks, he's someone that Alicia can rely on for um, to be successful out there. And the thing is for her, and that's frightening for a lot of teams, is DeGrom didn't carry her. He only had 6.2 points this week while her offense did the heavy lifting. So looking at the matchup altogether, and I'll go through it, 
she had no production from the catcher position all week. JT Romuto, who returned to the lineup today, uh, was out for most of the week. She'll, so she only got 3.5 points from Romuto. But this is where the heavy hitting started. Vlad Guerrero Jr. had 13.9. And that started with the three-home run game on uh, Tuesday night. So from that point on, she never looked back. Ozzy Albies, who's quickly emerging as probably the best second baseman in baseball, had 13 points for her. Rafi Devers had 6.25. Bo Pichette had 9.95. Trey Mancini had 9.05. Dylan Carlson had 5.15. Charlie Blackman had 7.45. Uh, Josh Bell even was productive for her today, uh, 6.7 points. And like I talked about, Alex Kirilov, she didn't start him for most of the, the week, but she started him today, and he had a three-run home run. Pitching-wise, the Grom pitch well for her. Again, he was robbed of the win. They lost, I believe, one nothing earlier in the week. But he is... He had nine Ks, gave up one earned, went six, and deserved the win, but didn't get it. He's ranked currently, I believe, one overall. I don't think it updated from today, but as of right now, he's ranked number one in all of fantasy baseball as far as points uh, with our league settings. Um, as far as pitching goes as well, she uh, got some production at the closing position with Diego Castillo, who closed it out today against uh, the Astros. Uh, she also got a nice relief pitching from Karen check. Who's no longer the closer in Cleveland, but they're using them as a two-sided coin with obviously uh Clace is the closer officially, but Karen check comes in at high leverage situations and is able to put away uh, some batters in walking the tightrope. And he had 5.75 points for her. And that can't be dismissed. Uh, unfortunately for her. And I'll get into it in the injury report. Uh, Dustin may was lost to an injury and that definitely hurts her and kind of put a little bit of a damper on her week because Dustin May has emerged as sort of a, I wouldn't say frontline starter, but he's someone that is pretty effective and worth throwing out there. And she, prior to the draft in the preseason, Devin and I questioned why she kept him and that he wouldn't really be needed in that Dodger rotation. And boy, Devin and I were completely wrong. Dustin May has shown that he deserves to be in that rotation and he will be pitching uh, and they'll find a place for him because he's that effective. So I hope he's okay. We're going to talk about that in the injury report and talk about a little bit about what the Dodgers released. But Dustin May is someone that Alicia had the foresight of keeping in the last round, and he's been very, very effective for her. Um, but other than that, it was more the offensive explosion that completely put me out. She beat me 129.50 to 109.60, and it definitely wasn't as close as it, was, as it looks. Um, losing by 20 points. She was ahead pretty much all week, and she put me away around Thursday, Friday, and she, there was no looking back. So she moves to 4-0, well-deserved. There was no cheapies in there. So Alicia right now is the cream of the crop and the heavy favorite to be number one in the power rankings when we redo them after week five. So I'll discuss that a little bit more later on, but we're looking to definitely redo the power rankings after week five, and I want everybody's input similar to what we did in the preseason. So it's a cumulative um, list instead of just me or just Devin uh, arbitrarily putting together. Moving on to the other matchups. So this was a pretty good matchup. Mike Perrier had a huge explosion on Sunday and he put Dev, uh, put Jimmy away, beating him 140-50 to 123-40. And Jimmy was ahead going into Sunday, but he had said in the chat that he didn't feel good about potentially the five starters that were going for Perrier, but it really wasn't the starters that put Jimmy away. The offense is what really, really uh, 
put Jimmy in some deep trouble. And it started with Chris Bryant today who had two home runs, a double three RBIs. And it looks like Chris Bryant's back. So the stories of Chris Bryant's demise were exaggerated. He seems to be back to form. His swings figured out and the, the Cubs lost in that slugfest, but there was a lot of fantasy points to go around and Chris Bryant definitely benefited from that three for five, two runs scored a double two home runs, three RBIs and struck out once. The other guy that really uh, showed up for Perrier on this lovely Sunday was Marcus Semien, who went two for four with a run scored, um, a home run, and four RBIs. So he was clutch for him today as well. And in, in his utility spot was 3.6 points from Jose Ramirez, two for two, a run scored, two walks, a home run, a double, two RBIs, and he was hit by a pitch. So he was on base all goddamn day. And Jose Ramirez had 3.6 points from him. Right now, Conforto's still going. Reese Hoskins is still going. But like we talked about before, all the matchups are completely sewn up. Uh, Pitching-wise, the guys he had going today were Dylan Bundy, Joe Musgrove, Carlos Martinez, Zach Eflin, and Taylor Rogers. So he got 4.3 points from Dylan Bundy, who pitched well against Seattle in a, lo- in a losing effort. Got a quality start, which is what you're looking for, especially from a guy like Dylan Bundy. Uh, troubling from Joe Musgrove. Um, so he surrendered six runs today versus the Giants, and he didn't look like himself. He wasn't as sharp as he's been in the early going. Um, only 53 of the 85 pitches were strikes. So it, after issuing a leadoff walk in the third inning, um, he allowed Kevin Gosman to reach on an error, and then he put two runners on before Tommy Lasella single to drive in the run. Talkman would take Musgrove deep one batter later and then put the Giants up 4-1. Two more runs would score in the fifth before Musgrove's day was done. It was the first outing in which Musgrove allowed more than two runs. He did induce 10 strikeouts, which is definitely something that Perrier uh, is still hoping he continues. Um, and then he was able to strike out six. So despite the rough outing, Musgrove has a 2.38 ERA. So that's more than what we could have expected from him. A 0.74 whip, which is uh, fantastic. Um, And he's in line for a rematch this Saturday coming up against the Giants. So we will see what happens with him. He also had Carlos Martinez, who looked like flashes of his old self. Eight innings pitch, a win, only three Ks, but he almost went complete game. Uh, Zach Eflin pitched well for him again today. He's been sneaky good. He's not going to get the win because the bullpen blew it for the Phillies, but uh, quality start as well. Seven Ks, two earned runs. And then Taylor Rogers was in that pitching duel with Max Scherzer, but he definitely did not pitch as well as advertised. Taylor Rogers had six Ks, gave up three earned runs, but um, Scherzer outdueled him, and Rogers was definitely not as sharp as he had been in the past. So, which was kind of weird that he saw his uh, impressive 15 inning scoreless streaks snapped. Um, Ryan Zimmerman took him deep uh, to center field with two outs in the third inning. So, the last time he had a lot of run, um, was when Ronald Acuna, Acuna Jr. took him deep on April 15th. So think about that. Um, he's a 23-year-old. He wasn't he wasn't at his best today, but he is someone who's very, very, very young, very impressive, and def- definitely something um, someone to look forward to. And I've been calling him Taylor. His name is Trevor. I apologize. So uh, Trevor Rogers is the guy I'm talking about. There is a Taylor Rogers, but... Trevor Rogers is the pitcher for Miami. So he was as, as impressive as, as ever, just not today, but it did not matter. Harrier got the win. And so he had 35.30 points. And let's look at Jimmy's team from today. 
Jimmy, Jimmy didn't have a bad day. 15.25 points. He had only uh, Peterson going for the Mets. And like we talked about before, it's, it's now a bullpen game. It uh, looks like the Mets just took the lead, which was nice. Yep. The Mets just took the lead, but Peterson will not get the win. And anyway, that matchup is sewn up. Look at looking at the week in general. So obviously Perrier, uh, the win is 140.50 to 123.40, but it was closer than it seemed. The 35 points obviously put Jimmy in the rear view, view mirror pretty quickly. So as the chat's blowing up on my end about the Mets, as you guys are all chatting about it, I wish you guys were in here talking about it. If you'd like to come in here, um, I'm going to put put that in the chat right now. So uh, I'm currently doing the podcast. Hop in and talk about the Met game. All right, so looking at Perrier's team, 16.35 points from Chris Bryant. So um, impressive, obviously. Chris Bryant is someone who was not well-touted going into the draft. People thought he was done, and – He's been more of the player that he had been every year prior, the franchise player that the Cubs um, have been putting on the field, and he's been great for Perrier. 10 points from Trout, 14.10 points from Jose Ramirez. Uh, He also got 9.8 points from Ryan McMahon, Uh, 6.95 points from Zach Eflin. Uh, Rogers is 9.55 points. Ian Kennedy, 7 points. So. He was getting points from all over the place, and Perrier now moves to 141.4. But still, an impressive win for Perrier. He moves to 2-2, two and two, and he has to be very happy with the way his team produced in Week 4. Moving on to Bizzotta and Devin. So not Bizzotta's best showing. Devin put him away 133.80 to 101.05. So Devin moves to 3-1 and one while Bizzotta moves to 2-2. Two and two. And looking at the storylines in this matchup, some of the point producers for each of the teams, Trevor story, who's now day to day. And again, I'll talk about that in the injury report. He had 13.40 points. Uh, Ronald Acuna jr. Had 9.95 points. George Springer had 6.30 points. Looked to be back in the lineup, ready to go for Devin. And he is day to day as well. So it looked, I heard it was fatigue. That's what I was reading that he was just a little fatigued and not ready to be on the field. They said that he did not re-aggregate the back potentially, just covering up, I guess we're going to hear more during the week. Other point getters for Devin, he had eight points from Alex Reyes, 6.5 from Oraldis Chapman. Lucas Giolito was not at his, at his best, so Devin has to be concerned about that, at, among the other injuries on his team. And then Bazada's team, uh, not much. He got some offensive production from Carlos Santana. McNeil got, came alive a little bit for him, had five had five points. Xander Bogarts had a big game today, had – 8.7 over the week. Verdugo only had four points. Mookie only had six points. Pitching-wise, John Means had a decent week for him, 7.8 points. Ian Anderson at 8.7 points. Um, and then Gibson had 5.4 points. So not enough to beat Devin. It's going to be a must-win for both me and Bazada going in, in week five. So I'm one and three. He's now two and two. Um, that's going to be a big matchup. And there's also a bet on the line of as 
McNeil scored. Let's see who got that double. Pete Alonzo with a big double. Bases clearing uh, from the bases were loaded. Conforto scored. McNeil scored. Now it's eight to four Mets. So the Mets who were on the brink of losing a game on Sunday night baseball have come back from the dead and their bats seem to come alive. And hopefully that wakes them up for good. Um, so that's awesome to see. Yeah. Alonzo took that deep. Yeah. So Bizada and I have a bet going where the loser has to don the avatar in the group chat until week 15, when we play each other again of their, of the winner's choice. So it could be anything. And also a hat is on the line. So a hat of the winner's choice. Uh, but the caveat is that the winner has to choose a hat from a, a team, or should I say a player that is on a team on your fantasy squad. So for example, if I win and I want to, whatever, I want a Washington Nationals hat, that goes because I have Trey Turner. So that's a little caveat. I know that Travis and Karen were thinking about doing potentially a side bet. So that's pretty cool. Keeping some interest into or putting more interest into the matchups, I should say. So again, Devin moves to three and one, an impressive outing for him. He had the second most amount of points or third most amount of points. Yeah, third most amount of points this week. No, fourth. Sorry, guys. Um, But it's nice showing for Devin. So he's looking to build on a three and one record next week when he plays Perrier, but we'll get to next week's matchups in a second. The fourth matchup was Travis got back to his winning ways and beat Nick who moved to Owen four. And this was an absolute uh, route. So Nick was never quite in this and Travis came back alive this week and got huge production from the guys you expect to get production from. So offensively, the biggest point getter was Aaron judge who had 13.55 points. He got nine points from Mar- Marcelo Zuna, who's been quiet all year. So that was great to see for him. He picked up Kiner Falefa as his catcher that I dropped, unfortunately, for Travis Darnell, who is now out for the year. And Travis got 7.85 points from Kiner Falefa, who's a nice utility piece where you can, he's a catcher, but he plays every day. Um, but he's mostly playing short for the, uh, the Rangers and batting leadoff. So it's a nice little kind of glitch in Yahoo system. Uh, Let's see. Pitching wise, he got five points from Sandy Alcantara. Patrick Corbin had five points. Christian Javier had seven. Uh, Alex Wood had 7.65. Obviously, he got the 10.4 from Cole every week. It seems like he's getting double digit points from him. And the big get was Dylan Cease, 19.75 points, uh, in which Travis accidentally dropped him. So, just to touch on that a little bit, I put a poll earlier in the week and thank you everyone that voted on that uh travis had come to me saying that he had dropped dylan cease by accident uh and obviously it was 12 hours after he had done it so if it happens there's, there's actually precedent that's been set that if someone does it by accident because the app is kind of glitchy it can be fixed right away however this was 12 this was uh 12 hours later and he had just noticed because he had texted me saying that Dylan Cease, he gave me the googly eyes that Dylan Cease was up to something and he went complete game shutout for him. Um, and I was like, oh, well, awesome, but you dropped him anyway. And Travis was surprised that it, I said that. He's like, no, I didn't. Looking back, 
he realized that he did drop him for uh, Stamont, the reliever from the Royals, thinking he had dropped, I believe, the, the other reliever for the Cardinals. Long story short, he made the appropriate roster moves and figured out that it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be deceased who was dropped. So he wanted it to be whatever he wanted me to make it right. I told him I couldn't do it unless we put it to a vote and everyone was nice enough to do it. And, but we set precedent that uh, people are a little more forgiving. So there was a little leeway in there for maybe some nefarious action. So if Travis was not being completely honest, that maybe he did drop cease. And then when he went complete game shutout, he immediately regretted it. Now I'm not saying that's what I believe, but I'm saying that some league members would have thought that. And for Travis's uh, thought process, he might've been like, Oh man, I want to keep that guy. But I'm not saying that that's true at all, but I'm saying that it would have been, if someone made that case, it would, it would definitely had to be a conversation we had to have. So going forward, if you drop a player by accident, or should I say, if you drop a player, make sure you're looking at what you're doing because maybe next time everyone in the league is not going to be nice enough to allow you to get that player back and you have to wait until he clears waivers. So that's in the past. It doesn't matter, but it's definitely worth talking about that you should be aware of who you're dropping, even if you do it by accident. There may be a time where that is not allowed to be fixed. Okay. All right. So, and lastly, our last matchup, well, let's talk about Nick for a second. Nick had less than 100 points, and he's in good spirits. He's 0-4, and this is sort of his entry into the league, and he's getting used to the format and all that. His team looks like they could be doing something special offensively, but he keeps hitting some hiccups and hit, playing people that are just going off. So 14.55 points from Castellanos had a big game today, four for five, two home runs, and that slugfest we talked about it with Chris Bryant and that 13-12 amazing game in Cincinnati. Uh, the biggest thing for him, and again, we will talk about in the injury report, Luis Robert um, went down with a hip injury, and he's going on the IL, so that's something that's very troubling for Nick's offense, so he's going to look for someone to replace Robert in the outfield. But the biggest problem for Nick has been pitching, really. He's getting production from Kershaw, but really nobody else. And that's something that he needs to figure out. Maybe he needs to make a trade to get another pitcher. Um, let's see what Bueller did for him this week. So Kershaw had 8.110 points. Manea had 5.2. Taiwan Walker had less than, less than a point. Bueller had only three points this week. Uh, so he, he needs some help, and he'll figure it out. I have, I'm confident he will. And next week he will look to get off the snide by playing Jimmy, who's one and three. So that's a matchup where both teams need to win. And again, 22 regular season weeks, the season's not over. It may suck to look at your record where it's 0-4 or 1-3, or you may be really happy you're 3-1 and or 4-0. and Things can change pretty rapidly, and people have gone on streaks much longer than, than five. We've seen teams string off wins seven weeks in a row or losses seven weeks in a row. Alicia's 4-0, but no one's to say she, she won't lose five out of the next seven, and she'll be sitting at you know, almost 500. Who's the set? So everyone that is on the bottom of the barrel right now, keep your chin up. Uh, Nick, keep your chin up. You'll be, I'm confident, as long as you continue to be active and 
scout the waiver wire and scout the trade wire, which I know you will, I believe that you will be just fine. And that first win is just around, just around the corner for you. All right. The last matchup to talk about in week four was Greg defeating Karen in an absolute slugfest. Karen had 144 points, but she, unfortunately, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Sometimes she played someone who had just a little bit more. And Greg went absolutely off after having a really down week where he had 84 points. He went absolutely ham sandwich, 153 points. He crushed it this week. And the biggest point getters for him, obviously, Freddie Freeman did his thing this week, 11.60 points. Uh, Stan had a nice week for him, 8.8 points. Newly acquired, Fernando Tatis Jr. We'll talk about that trade in a second um, in the next segment. 7.8 points. Jesse Winker, 11.8 points. Um, Glass now, 9.1. Plesak, 7.3. Matt Borens, 5.5. Bieber, 8.4. He got production from all of his guys. Uh, Urquity for the, for the Astros, 11.05 points. Uh, Alizé for the Cubs, 6.3 points. So he got points from every which angle, and really no one had a dud. So, I mean, maybe maybe Chris Paddock for him didn't pitch well, and now he's on the COVID-19 list. But other than that, everyone did their thing, and it showed 153 points, the most points in, most points in the league this week, moves to 2-2, two and two and defeated a very game Karen, who dropped to 2-2. Two and two. So both of them will be looking to – Get above 500. Karen had a good week. Uh, she picked up Corey Kluber, and he had two starts this week that were impressive. He went. He had two quality starts. He went eight today and struck out ten. So maybe the Kluber's back, or maybe he just pitched against Baltimore and Detroit. Um, as a Yankee fan, obviously I want Kluber to pitch well. I drafted Kluber, and I wanted him to be productive. I lost patience and dropped him. So I'm happy to see him pitching well. I really am. But. All I have to say is playing Detroit and playing Baltimore, they're both the best deodorant for a mediocre pitcher. And I, his next time out, he may be pitching against a team like Houston. I think he's lined up to pitch in the next series. And I don't think things will go as well. I'm hoping I'm wrong. But just with the velocity being down, I don't foresee Kluber being able to hang and be able to continue his success. I could be wrong, but I really hope I am. Uh, so Karen is looking to get above 500 when she plays her brother next week. All right. So getting back into, I wanted to talk about the trade between Greg and myself. So there's been a lot of trades made this year and more so than a lot of years. And who knows why? Maybe it's the addition of Nick being able to stoke the flames of trade offers, or maybe it's just the fact that we didn't have a full season. Everyone's a little bit itchy to make moves and not as patient as they were in the past. But the biggest deal that went down, uh, I, I was, I don't know which one's bigger, the one with Nick and Devin or me and Greg, both significantly big deals. So I sent Fernando Tatis Jr. and Lou Trevino, the closer or whatever, closer B of the athletics, to him for Trey Turner and Clace, the closer of the Indians. So we took a vote and everyone voted, obviously, that they felt that Greg got the better deal. And that's OK. 
obviously to defend myself, Trey Turner is not the sexiest player, or I should say the, the sexy player, if you had to choose one over Fernando Tatis Jr. and Trey Turner. But in my defense, he is the durable player. He's the guy that's shown he can do it year after year and stay on the field. So rewind the clock a little bit. Tatis went down with that shoulder injury. I had accepted in my brain that he was out for the year. And I was trying to move him. I was like, well, he has keeper value. Even if he's out for a significant amount of time, you guys can, you have him for the seventh round next year. And he's going to go in the first three picks. No one wanted him. They were, they were definitely nervous about the injury. Fast forward, he somehow comes back from this separated shoulder. And his, especially that first series where he hit the home run uh, at Dodger Stadium. And like every, everyone's saying he's back. So I'm still hesitant. Obviously, everyone knows, knows they follow the news. They follow the injury. So it wasn't like I hoodwinked anybody, but as soon as I saw that injury, I know eventually he will need surgery. So reading all reports on him, Fernando Tatis Jr. will need surgery. Will that surgery be in a month? Will that surgery be in four months? Or will that surgery be on the offseason? Nobody knows. But for someone who plays the way he plays, he has hamstring history. He has shoulder history. He has other injuries that have plagued him in his short stay in the MLB that I didn't want to risk it. And I wanted out. So the ceiling of someone like Fernando Tatis Jr. is higher than Trey Turner. I would agree. I think he just played his 162nd game today. So we finally have what would look like a full season kind of scattered over the course of the last three. But Trey Turner is reliable. He plays 150-something games a year. Let me pull up his baseball reference page. There was a year, I believe, maybe two years ago, that Trey Turner played 162 games. And that's something that we will never see Fernando Tatis Jr. do. Even if he's healthy, he's going to be, he's going to be nicked up. He's going to be one of those players that plays, at best, 130 games. So in 2018, Trey Turner played 162 games at 740 plate appearances and 664 at-bats. That was best in the league. So in that, in that season, he had 19 home runs, 73 RBIs, 27 doubles. He batted uh, 271, had a 344 on base, and he had 180 hits. Wouldn't you take that? So Tatis will probably have better numbers than that. Even last year, he had played 59 games in the 60-game season, 78 hits, which led the league, had four triples, which led the league, uh, batted 335. If Tatis did that, wouldn't you take it? Take away their names, take away the way they play, take away the flash that Tatis plays with. Wouldn't you take that? So I may be completely wrong, and I can be laughed at for the rest of the time that I no longer have Fernando Tatis Jr., but I am very content with the deal I made, and I believe that Trey Turner is at his best, someone who's at least comparable to, Tati, to Tatis's game. And he's an elite fantasy producer. So I will take the safe bet and take the side of Trey Turner. So I know 
that potentially I lost. So aside from the, the player you're getting in 2021, you're losing the value in the years to come. So next year, he'll be a seventh round pit and seventh round keeper. If Greg decides to keep that tease, and I think he will, then he goes to four and then he goes to one. So he's never going to be in the next three years. He won't be a first round pick. So you're getting the value. If I keep Turner this year, I think Greg took him in the first round. So I will be losing that value. That being said, if he's not on the field, I won't have that value. And having him get that injury scared me to death and I want it out. So Greg's being brave about this. And obviously he may reap the benefits and for being that, for being brave. I didn't want a piece of that. And I'm trying to win this year uh, with Trey Turner and I'm going forward and I'm confident in myself for making the deal. And again, I could be completely wrong, but um, I embrace the criticism. So if everyone feels that I'm completely wrong for doing this, that's okay. I take it on. I will defend the deal to the end of end of time because of the fact that I will not be, I will not have to hold my breath every day that we're going to have to be, I'm going to have to find a replacement for someone like uh, for Tatis, who's the main cog of my offense. And Trey Turner showed up that first, the first night on my roster at two home runs. And at th- from this point until I think that when we made the deal right now, Tat- uh, Turner has more points than Tatis and we will see at the end of the year. That's the best part about fantasy baseball. And the best part about our league, we will have tangible points to compare the players. Even if both of them stay healthy, there's a chance that Turner is the better player. There really is. So I'm excited to watch it. It was great making a deal with Greg. I know I offered trades to everybody for Tatis. Um, and Greg happened to be the one. There was a few trades that almost went through. So Greg happened to be the one to get him, and he's taking a risk with him. There's no doubt about it, and he knows that. But without risk, there's really less reward. So, um, And Greg's a smart manager. So the fact that he's willing to make that trade, uh, you, have to, you have to really question my sanity. Trading with Greg is like trading with the Rays, and that's the highest compliment I can give. Greg is a very savvy manager. He knows what he's doing. So, you know, I guess if you look at it this way, if Tatis or Turner were in that spot where Greg drafted, so let's look at Greg's draft. Um, let's see. He took Turner in the second round. If Tatis was there, would he have taken him? Of course he would have over Turner. You know that. Everybody would have. But we will get the chance to see who got the better end of the deal, and that's the best part about it. And, again, I love making the deal with Greg. It was really easy because um, the deal was ready made, and he accepted it on the table, and there was really no discussion aside from he got. So we will see who got the better of it going forward. All right, so we're moving on to next week's matchups. So going through them quick. We have me at one and three taking on Bazada two and two. And this seems to be rivalry week. It wasn't set up this way. I obviously did random randomized schedule, but I will be taking on Bazada and it's a must win for me. I can't drop to one and four and he does not want to drop below 500. So it's a big matchup for the both of us. Devin at three and one will take on Perrier at two and two. Nick, who's owned four, will take on the one and three Jimmy. Again, huge matchup for both teams. Nick does not want to move to 0 and 5, and Jimmy definitely doesn't want to move to 1 and 4. Travis at 3 and 1 will take on Karen 2 and 2. So a little bit of the rivalry week that I discussed on. Big week, big week for the both of them. And finally, again, can both of them coexist in the same household? Greg at 2 and 2 versus Alicia 4 and 0. 
can Alicia get to five and up? If you look at historically, Alicia, she's been off to really slow starts in the last few years. Um, she is erasing all the doubt for a slow start. Let's see if she can keep it up and re return to form. We kind of challenged her in the preseason that we wanted the old Alicia back and we're getting what we wish for or what we wish for, I should say. And she's definitely showing that she is a force to be reckoned with and her offense, if they stay healthy, if they continue to produce, she has the best pitcher in baseball on her team with Zagram. And then also that offense is just deadly. I still believe that's the best offense in the league. Having played it, watched them produce on a day-to-day -day basis. I don't know if it gets much better than the offense she puts out on the field, you know, best catcher in the league with JT Romito who has not really even gotten started, but she has Vlad Jr., Ozzy Albies, Rafi uh, Devers, Bo Bichette, uh, Charlie Blackman, Josh Bell, and her bench right now, her IL has Juan Soto. And don't forget, she has Wander Franco, who's sitting right now in her NA spot, and he's clearly going to be called up this year. So she has a lot of dangerous, dangerous weapons offensively, and then she can pepper in the two aces with DeGrom and Granke, a decent bullpen with uh, Castillo and Karinchak, um, and she gets – ace performances from a guy like Sonny Gray every once in a while. Lance McCullers pitched like an ace this week. Um, and, and hopefully Dustin May is okay for her. So she is someone that is a force to be reckoned with. And when we do power rankings next week, it wouldn't shock me if everyone put her at number one, because spoiler alert, I think I will, because I think I have a little PTSD from playing her this week, watching her put up double, <laughs> double digit points. <sighs> from all her guys was just, it's, it was so hard to watch. There was no getting back into the matchup. She just beat my team to death and, you know, a kudos to her. She drafted a really well-rounded team and she has a deep bench where she has to make decisions on a daily basis. Like I talked about earlier about who she wants to start. Um, but she's making the right choices and pushing the right button. So kudos to her. And um, she's definitely, that matchup will be the one to watch. I think too, Greg and Alicia are going to be putting up a lot of points. So Greg with 153 points this week, Alicia with 129 this week. Uh, they both have a lot of bangers on that team. And we'll talk about uh, some of the two-star guys. I think in the next segment, I'll talk about the two-star pitchers in week four, uh, week five coming up. Uh, DeGrom will be pitching twice. So that will be huge for Alicia. And we'll see if DeGrom can capitalize on that for her. All right, so looking at the two star pitchers in week four, so I ranked them through 15 and I put some other options to talk about if like someone wants to stream some people. Most of these guys are rostered though. Um, so number one, Jacob DeGrom will be pitching in St. Louis and then at City Field against Arizona. So that's really dangerous. I think that could be a huge key to the Greg and Alicia matchup. Uh, if the Mets can score for her, it looks like the offense woke up today. Uh, they scored eight runs. So hopefully they score even half of that for DeGrom will be enough. So he, again, will be pitching in St. Louis and uh, versus Arizona. Aaron Nola for Travis at home against Milwaukee, who's been a struggling offense. And then Atlanta, who just lost Darno for the, uh, for the foreseeable future. Aaron Nola will go twice this week. Walker Bueller for Nick. That could be huge for him. Playing the Cubs and the Angels both, both on the road. The other piece for Alicia that will be huge, Zach Granke pitching at Yankee Stadium, which hasn't been great for him, but the Yankees offense hasn't done much aside from playing the Tigers and then playing Toronto at home in Houston. So Alicia's getting DeGrom and Granke 
in two start weeks if it lines up and continues to line up. Uh, Sandy Alcantara, who that that uh, I think Travis owns him, will be going twice at home for Miami. So that's a huge, huge uh, little lift for Travis in the Karen matchup. Shohei Otani, I don't know if anyone has the pitcher, but he will be pitching against Tampa Bay and the Dodgers. Um, seems too good to be true that he's going twice after hitting all this time. Um, but there's been a lot of firsts this season, and we may be seeing Otani hit the mound twice this uh, this week, so that would be fun to watch. Kenta Maeda, he's trying to get off the snide and kind of get back to his 2020 form. He will be pitching at home against Texas and then at Detroit, so two very weak lineups. Aaron Silvalli for Jimmy against Kansas City and Cincinnati. Herman, Mar- Herman-, Herman Marquez, uh, the Colorado ace, quote-unquote. I did quote if you guys – Obviously can't see me. I'm doing quotes ace, um, but he has a nice juicy matchup against the giants and the Cardinals pitching twice. Um, number 10, we're getting kind of into the deep weeds over here. Chris Paddock and Ryan Weathers were kind of tied for me. I wasn't sure who to put there. So Pittsburgh and San Francisco, uh, Max Freed, um, and who Oscar, you know, so it looks like this will be like a two-step for the both of them. So, Freed answers the rotation either tomorrow or the fifth. So that will determine if he's going to have two starts this week. Kyle Hendricks, who's been absolutely bombed every time he's out there, will get a chance to pitch against the Dodgers, which should be troubling, but then kind of rebound against the Pirates. So hopefully he can find his way. And as we talk about Kyle Hendricks, he doesn't pitch with velocity. He pitches pitches with precision, precision. And when he's not right, it looks awful. But when he is right, He's somewhat of a unicorn, as they say. He is someone that um, is able to do it despite d- despite all the odds that are against him. He's pitching low 90s. Um, he is definitely better than the pitcher he's shown he's been so far this year. And we will see if he can get back into rhythm because I'm at the verge of potentially dropping him. That's how bad he's been. So, Kyle Hendricks, please get it together. Kyle Gibson who Bazada streamed, I believe, and decided to keep him. He's been pretty, pretty goddamn good at Minnesota uh, and then versus Seattle. J.A. Happ, um, he is not someone you thought you would see listed, but he has two starts and two juicy matchups, Texas and the Tigers. Um, some other options that were there. So you have Frankie Montes, Steven Matz, Mike Miner, Tyler Anderson, Domingo Herman, Aaron Sanchez, Joe Ross, Luke Weaver, and Adrian Hauser. So those are your two-star pitchers. If you have any of them, even if you have the beautiful part about it is like you have a, a second rate pitcher. So say you have J.A. Happ. I mean, those are two juicy matchups, but let me go with somebody else. Say you have Herman Marquez, who has not done much this year. Maybe, just maybe, he could pitch well enough in two outings and give you enough that would be a nice stellar outing. So if he has five Ks in one, five Ks in the other, it's almost like he went out there and pitched a 10K outing for you. So those are the nice, the way it lines up is always beautiful. But the other thing is if he pitches well in the first outing and gets absolutely bombed in the second, he can almost erase what he did in the first outing. So um, it's almost the, the dangers that uh, a lot that are in this two-star week. I mean, obviously with guys like Jacob, DeGrom, Aaron Nola, Walker Buehler, Zach Granke, those guys are almost guarantees that go out there and give you quality outings. 
However, some of these other two start guys, like I talked about, could potentially erase the good that they do in the first start. Um, but it's definitely worth noting. And it's definitely, I think it's something that's always worth discussing because it could play a huge role in determining who wins this week. All right. So everyone's favorite part of the podcast, let's go with the injury report. So injuries have been happening pretty much every week, every day, I should say. So let's start with Corbin Burns. Lots of question marks. He was one of the top guys I listed that would be pitching twice next week. He pitched once, didn't pitch amazing earlier in the week. And then he was supposed to pitch on Saturday, but was placed on the IL, shockingly, for an unspecified reason. Uh, so the teams do not have to disclose if there's like a COVID issue, but it seems like potentially there is a COVID issue with Corbin Burns. So Tim Hodencourt of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel had sort of echoed that sentiment that it was a COVID issue that Burns was dealing with. Um, obviously guys have been coming and going from the COVID-19 list very rapidly. So he could go on and then hop off. I'm hoping he can return as soon as he clears protocols. Um, but potentially could be dealing with lingering effects. So something to watch out for. He has gone out, gotten off to a historic start. So, and he was sorely missed for me this week. And who knows what would have happened if he was able to go out there, pair with Max Scherzer this week. Maybe he could have pulled me over and got me more of the 20 points, but who knows? Um, Adam Wainwright, um, COVID list as well. So he's quarantining away from the team. He needs to test negative before a scheduled start um, on the third. Um, otherwise, Johan Oviato will be recalled and will start in his place. Uh, Dustin May, as I talked about during uh, with Alicia, was removed from his start on May 1st, which was uh, yesterday, uh, due to right, and a right arm injury only, after only getting five outs. So May looked very sharp, and then after getting the fifth out, he started shaking his arm. And he was in obvious pain after throwing his final pitch in the second inning. So today the Dodgers announced that they have decided to place him on the 10-day IL. So manager Dave Roberts said, we remain hopeful, but we won't know until we get an MRI. May reported feeling a shooting sensation. So an MRI is scheduled for tomorrow in Chicago. And their next stop on a 10-game road trip will be obviously Chicago. So he'll get it done there. Um, this could leave it open for potentially getting a peek at Josiah Gray who's LA's number one prospect. Um, either way, I hope Dustin May is okay. It does not sound good. I feel like Dave Roberts would have been a little more clear that he'd be okay. So keeping our fingers crossed for Dustin May. Uh, Wilson Contreras had right thigh, thigh tightness. He's been absent from the Cubs lineup since uh, exiting the game on the 30th of April. Um, he said he could play if necessary, but David Ross opts it to play safe. Um, so he continues to be out. He's listed as day-to-day. So we'll see if he gets put on the IL. So and um, let's see who owns uh, Contreras. So there'll be there's definitely some guys looking for catchers. And so Contreras is on Jimmy's team, so that definitely does not help them. So Jimmy and I are both going to be looking for catchers for sure. So that didn't help the fact that Jimmy didn't get any production from – the catching position when with Wilson Contreras out since the 30th. Um, he's probably keeping his eye on the waiver wire. 
Um, you know, maybe we'll see what the Cubs call up. Maybe he decides to uh, go with that guy, but it, it catcher's weak as it, as it is and very thin position to be pulling from there. So uh, some troubling times for Jimmy in the catching position. Um, both Brendan Nimmo and J.D. Davis left prematurely uh, on 5-1. So Nimmo pulled up lame on the foul through for on the swing and appeared to aggregate, aggravate his hip injury or even even worse pulls groin. So something to watch. Nimmo has been like the only guy hitting for the Mets. So I'm hoping he's okay. Um, surprising the issue was with um, his index finger and the x-rays were negative. So he's currently day to day. And then Davis offered even more mystery when he lifted, he was lifted from the contest on a double switch. It was later announced to be a left hand sprain. Despite uh, the Mets scoring very few runs, Nimmo and Davis have been literally the only guys hitting aside from tonight. Um, so again, hoping they're okay. Um, let's see. Other injury I, I, I affected my team pretty significantly. Brady Singer was hit um, on his left heel with a sharp comebacker. Um, and he was in visible pain and had to be helped off the field. However, Singer's like, he's only a 24-year-old and, you know, hopefully he can bounce back from the contusion on his foot. X-rays came back negative, which was a sigh of relief for me and for other people that, for the Royals specifically. And he felt much better following the game. Um, and the team is fairly confident, fingers crossed, will make his start in Cleveland next week. Matthew Boyd with his knee. Um, he's battling patellar tendonitis both Boyd and the team are hopeful he'll avoid the IL although it will likely cost him his start this week chances are in favor uh, since the Tigers have scheduled off days the next two Mondays and as a result this would be the perfect time to give him the rest of his experience of flare up so something to watch for Matthew Boyd Jordan Hicks right elbow inflammation will undergo an MRI of his pitching uh, when the cards return to St. Louis um, Mike Schilt had said that um he should be okay, barring any sort of troubling things in MRI. Hicks was pulled from the game on Saturday due to tightness, and with his injury history, Schilt wasted zero time pulling him. So it's being labeled precautionary at the moment, um, though it does bear monitoring. So I think Hicks is on the on the trash heap, but it's worth t uh, talking about because he is one of those guys that are um, no, he's on Karen's team. So he's day to day, but the, it all depends on how the MRI shakes out. And speaking of Karen's team, Marco Gonzalez has a mild forearm strain and he's on the 10 day IL. Um, and he had another quality start loss for Seattle and there's no timetable for return. The team feels like he only missed a couple starts at minimum. So whatever that looks like, a couple starts is not what you want to hear. Um, and finally, Jesus Lazardo was placed in the IL with a fractured left pinky. Um, and as we talked about in the chat, he hurt his finger when he bumped his pitching hand while playing a video game before the game. It's a hairline fracture. Regardless of whether or not surgery is required on his finger, Lazardo appears to be destined to be on the shelf for longer than the 10 day minimum. So that sucks. And it's another freak accident. Uh, Mike Fires is expected to be in the rotation as the number five starter for the duration of Lazardo's absence. So that is the injury report, um, the relevant injuries, I should say. And 
there, I'm, I'm sure there will be more information going forward about all these guys as the week progresses. And unfortunately, new guys added to the list as the injuries continue to pile up. All right, well, that's pretty much all I got here on the Commissioner's Wrap-Up Show. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed all of the discussion that happened throughout the week. I am looking forward to another great week of baseball, and I'm hoping my team specifically gets their shit together, um, specifically Francisco Lindor, as we watch the end of the Met game. Right now it's 8-5. Edwin Diaz is out there with two outs, runners on the corners for the Phillies. Um and the Mets are looking to close out um, the game to move to 11 and 11. I hope the Mets offense is woken up and I hope in turn that will wake up Francisco Lindor. Um, as I talked about earlier in the podcast by mentioning, and again, I will put this in the chat. I will be sending you guys the same sort of workup that I gave you guys earlier in the season during the preseason. And we will be figuring out the power rankings after five weeks of for the fame baseball. So we'll come up with a cumulative list and rank the teams accordingly. And I think we're going to have a pretty um, concise version of that list up as soon as probably, let's see if I, if I send it out after Sunday, I would hope to have it for the following Sunday for week six. So have the power rankings all done and ready to go. And I will share them with you guys on the week six wrap up podcast. And we will have a nice list to go on. We will see if Alicia can stay undefeated. If Nick can get his first win. Um, can any of these 500 teams get above 500 who will dip below 500? Um, will Jimmy and I get above drop to one and four? Will we get to two and three? There's a lot of answers that we need. And I think one of the bigger themes that we really need to um, talk about is patience. So we're seeing how patient each manager can be by holding on to players that are clearly struggling, that are clearly having a really hard time at the plate. And we know historically who some of these players are, but as the weeks tick out at this point, we're going to week five and a guy, and I can't, I, I hate repeating it over and over again, but Francisco Lindor, continues to struggle for five weeks. And that's a short sample size, obviously. But in fantasy baseball, I'm not saying single-handedly he got me to one and three, but the struggles of a guy like Kyle Hendricks and him paired together, just those two guys not doing what they're supposed to do have gotten me to a point um, where my team is not productive as it's supposed to be. And you're not going to give up on a guy like Francisco Lindor, but I'm at the point that I'm thinking about giving up on Kyle Hendricks and, in the beginning of the season, he was someone I was thinking about relying on. But with pitching being so thin in our league, I'm not going to outright drop him. And trading him, I'll obviously get nothing. So it's one of those things where, like, we have to be patient. And we have to be able to, as the Phillies, oh, wow. The Phillies just tied it. Hoskins with a three-run home run to tie the game 8-8 in the bottom of the ninth. Oh, man. So Edwin Diaz, who looks so sharp in the past few outings, just gave up a, a laser to Reese Hoskins that just, just scraped over the wall 
at Citizens Bank Park and they look like they're going crazy. Oh man. So as a Med fan, you should be patient as well. Wow, 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 wow. With that, we look forward to week five. I will talk to you guys next week. And I thank you for listening to the Commission Wrap-Up Show. Kamish out like a Reese Hoskins home run. Kimish back. Um, update. The Reese Hoskins home run, I was, obviously you guys are watching, but just for historical sake, obviously throughout the season, this will just be another Sunday podcast, but the Reese Hoskins home run was not a home run. It was ruled a ground rule double. Now he is just the tying run. The Mets have the lead 8-7 in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. So uh, they're going to have to drive Reese Hoskins in. So a shocking turn of events. Um, but Edwin Diaz is out either way. So the baseball week never ends and the excitement continues. And this has been an absolutely phenomenal baseball season, even through the first four weeks. So I look forward to week five and commission is out for real this time. Talk to you guys after a while. <laughs>